Welcome everyone to Politics Express, the Postwriters Politics Podcast. I'm your host, the Postwriters Politics Editor, Lars Emerson. And this week we're doing a deep dive into a state near and dear to our hearts, and that is Nevada, which has a key Senate race, a competitively redrawn congressional map, and a competitive governor's race, too. We will discuss all of the above. We will end, of course, with our In Our Lifetime segment. So let's dive right in. We are joined today by, uh, as usual, Post Writers Editor in Chief Michael Levito. Hey, Mike. Hello. Uh, good to have you. <laughs> glad, glad. As someone who has never spent more than uh, I think ten days in Nevada and consecutively, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, um, you're giving us a national angle. Yeah. Uh, and with us today, also to discuss with some hands-on knowledge, is Jacob from Wild and Free, a Battleborn podcast podcast was created out of a desire to help spur engagement of regular Nevadans in arts, culture, and local issues after the 2016 election. podcast provides interviews, commentary to help break down barriers to engagement and to provide a platform for those doing the real work in their state. Uh, Nevadan by choice, Jacob has worked in higher education in the nonprofit sector in Las Vegas for the past 17 years. He's a political nerd. He has a BA and an MS in political science, along with a master's in educational leadership. He's been a political campaign and issue volunteer on and off since the age of 12 and likes to stay engaged and aware of Nevada politics. Welcome, Jacob. I'll just cut to the wow, chase. Wow, that, that was a mouthful. Thank yeah. you. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you guys for, for having me on. Well, you sound eminently qualified, but I guess we'll see as we go. <laughs> right. I mean, I love to pontificate a lot about Nevada politics. So, Hey, it's... you and us both. Uh, well, welcome to the podcast. So... Before we dive in, let's note kind of up top why we're specifically focusing on Nevada here. Unlike Wild and Free, Post Writer is not specifically a Nevada publication or, or <laughs> outlet at all. But uh, we do have some roots there. I lived there for a while. And despite Nevada's relatively small population, it is an incredibly important state from a federal control standpoint because there was gone uh, for the Democratic presidential candidate in every election since 2008 that margin has been shrinking and has been quite narrow in the last two presidential elections. It also boasts two Democratic senators currently, a majority Democratic congressional delegation, and a Democratic governor. So this is like a small state that packs a lot of Democratic punch, thanks to what was formerly a strong party organization under former Senate leader and Nevada Democratic Senator Harry Reid, and a prioritization of strategic candidacies. Any other reason why Nevada is like so important in 2022 uh, in particular that makes it unique? You guys want to jump in? Well, one thing that I think is very interesting about Nevada is that um, out of all well, 50, really 51, if you count D.C. states that voted in the 2020 election, it is one of only seven where Trump actually improved his margin. Which is interesting considering that Joe Biden still won it. And even though Joe Biden improved on Hillary Clinton's numbers um, in just about every state that went Democratic in 2020, um, Nevada, he more or less stagnated, right? Um, it actually, he didn't even stagnate. He actually lost some ground to Clinton. Um, right. It was compared to Clinton, I should say. And which, which you know, kind of if it, so, if you're looking for a state that could possibly swing in the other direction in the midterm, Nevada would then therefore be a good candidate. And I think demographically, it it it, it will might be time to it's it's a, maybe a good place to test some theories. I think 
particularly with the very large um, Latino vote in that state, you know, there's was sort of lots of chatter about um, Trump's improved margins among that group in 2020. And we'll see if, um, you know, there is kind of a, is that, is that a blip or is that some, or is that, or is that a trend in 2022? There will be a lot of states where we get to test that out, but Nevada seems like a big one. And I think one of the things people forget, despite on a national level, how democratic the state appears to be. I mean, the most popular governors of the last 20 years have been Republicans. You know, the before Sisolak, it was Brian Sandoval, who was widely popular amongst many people, particularly those who are involved in education. And then uh, the governor, well, the governor before him was embroiled in scandal, but the governor that was before the governor embroiled in scandal, um, Kenny Gwynn, was also wildly popular among both sides of the aisle. And I think people tend to forget, you know, that part in the West, you know, the West politics looks always looks to me, it feels like it always looks a little bit differently. And there's that uh, independent streak that we have in Nevada, regardless of how, you know, democratic it may be. There's still a lot of people who are like the live and let live attitude. And that means there's always a lot of Republicans who can get elected in the state and who can be widely. I mean, it, it's it's always amazing to me who can win in this state. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, and I think that raises a good point. I think in general, Nevada spits out some pretty qualified, competent people, more or less. Um, and you don't always see that in a lot of small states. Usually a small state means a small slate. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, I mean, you get some pretty heavy hitters in Nevada history, despite being, like, one of the smallest states since its uh, foundation. Cool. Well, before we dive into the governor's race, which we'll do first, let's note that the Nevada primary in which the general election nominees for each of the races we discuss will be settled is on June 14th in about a month. So, uh, you know, that's kind of why we're doing this now. Yeah. (laughs) Let's dive in. Let's start with the big statewide race. So incumbent Democratic Governor Steve Sisolak is running for re-election, and he is expected to be renominated. If someone has a very deep cut for why you think he's not going to be renominated. please let me know now. But there are a number of Republicans running in the primary, so I think that's the more interesting story here. Um, right. Clark County, which is home to the Las Vegas Metro, for those who don't know, uh, their Sheriff Joe Lombardo is probably the front runner. Yeah, I'd say Agreed? so. Yeah. <laughs> poor poor Dean Heller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Poor Dean. I, I don't think anyone feels so bad for Dean Heller, though, is the problem. <laughs> He has not made a lot of friends. Uh, it, it's a pretty... There's a lot of people kind of running in that in that primary. I know we at the Post Writer, we covered Guy Nora, a long-shot venture capitalist candidate, before <laughs> he, he thinks he can be the... Glenn Youngkin, uh, yes, right? the Glenn Youngkin of Nevada, because Nevada and Virginia are so similar. Oh, absolutely. Uh, twins. Um, yeah. Just twins. Um, you know, Joey, Joey Gilbert, the former boxer, he's, he's running and like, he may be like the second best chance of winning based on some of the polls I've seen. You've got John Lee, the mayor of North Las Vegas, who has a lot of stuff going on with him. Well, he used to be a Democrat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then there was the whole like interaction with the police and he like asked for the police's help to get right. like illegal stuff off of his phone. Very strange. Super sketch. And, of course, I mean, he turned parties, too, during COVID. I mean, it's not like he's like, right. oh, I, I became a Republican 10 years ago. I became a Republican right. 18 months ago. Right. But 
I, I guess what I'd ask are the are the three front runners Lombardo, Heller, and Gilbert. I would say so. I, okay. I and I was I was just in Reno last week, and let me tell you, I saw so many Gilbert signs and billboards. And granted, I know that has a lot to do with money, but I didn't see a a single thing for Joe Lombardo or or Sisolak, to be honest. But I mean, he's not running really, not really has a primary, but right. Gilbert seemed to be the uh, Northern Nevada favorite, at least in Reno. Interesting. Yeah. What, what's 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 you guys' read on this this slate or of our top three candidates here? I, you, you know, I think it it started out even more incredible uh, when we had what Michelle Fiore was also in the the mix, uh, yeah. city councilwoman, Las Vegas city councilwoman. Um, but I have felt like this. I mean, I knew going into this that there was going to be a huge pool because of how, um, I mean, during COVID, there was a lot of backlash against Sisolak. I think a lot of that is, has kind of gone away um, in the last few months. But I, I expected a huge, a, a list of really uh, well-funded people. And I didn't expect uh, the top three candidates to be falling over themselves for the Trump endorsement, though. Yeah. I really expected there to be one, like, conservative non-Trumper running and it doesn't seem like we've got that well and that that's that's kind of why i, I thought Gee was so interesting too right is he's running very much in that like well i'm not really going to touch this whole trump thing like you said mm-hmm. he's trying to be glenn youngkin mike but he's like fully embraced the whole like oh no the nevada election was fraudulent and like this was a corrupt right. thing and all these mandates are wrong and it's like okay well you're, it's you're not really running as a you know you're you're very clearly angling for something here Right. Um, there's really no moderate candidate in the race, is I guess a good way to put it. Yeah, which is right. interesting because it it's I feel like it's going to be a true test of like the real resiliency of like the 2018 gains, um, just kind of Democrats saw in general across the country and in Nevada in particular. Right. It's this thing where it's like our politics so thermostatic that you can just like skid completely to the right. Yeah. And in a state that's ostensibly purple and still win, I I think that'll be kind of like the uh, for like it's for, as an outsider as a non Nevadan like to me that's kind of it's an interesting I think case study in that and Lombardo I think is an interesting sort of case study is like a Trump Republican right like just a you know law and order guy you know very big on um, stopping um, the forms of immigration he doesn't particularly care for pretty pretty uh pretty anti-abortion things like that and you know he's he's got this very sort of like um i know i would not describe him as a grassroots candidate but he has this sort of like populist vibe whereas like someone like heller just kind of feels to me like the sort of like meek establishment republican who really 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 wants to be trump's friend but trump is just kind of having none of it yeah so, it, which which is, I think, a path a lot of Republicans have sort of, you know, Lindsey Graham, I'm kind of looking at you. But um, <laughs> so just an interesting microcosm there is, is just kind of my feeling. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of what's happened to the Republican Party in uh, another state near and dear, at least to my heart, is Colorado, where it's like you have the Democrats moved very much to the center and then the Republicans reacted by moving all the way to the right. And now they can't seem to win an election in the state. The problem is I think this is actually going to work in Nevada, which I guess is my transition into let's talk about these Republicans against Sisolak. Do we feel optimistic about Sisolak's odds in this race? I would, if you would have asked me a year ago, I would have said there's no way in hell he's going to win. I, I definitely feel different now. Um, and part of that is, I think, because 
there isn't a moderate Republican in the race. Because, um, and, and really, I mean, Sisolak in, in many purple states or Democratic states would be a moderate Republican and not a Democrat. I mean, he's, <laughs> he, he he's very like pro-business. Yeah, he looks like when he's very <laughs> pro-business. I think when he was running, I mean, when he was running for governor the first time, he was, he really needed to push those, those Democratic credentials. And, you know, he was, he was very pro-choice and had a bunch of pro-choice commercials, um, which I think was his way of saying like, hey, yeah, you may think I'm actually a Republican, but, but I'm not, I'm a Democrat. But he, when he was the chair of the county commission, I mean, he was one of the most pro-business county commission chairs, at least in the, the almost 20 years I've been here. So I think that may save him from you know these trumpers and my only thing with joe lombardo is i feel like people that know who he is are very don't just don't like him um Mm. and whether that's because his his reign as sheriff has been riddled with you know controversy upon controversy um and then he comes out running for governor and he he goes i mean he was already pretty conservative but then he just like jumps as far to the right as he possibly can as soon as he declares that he's running for for governor which i think you know for maybe some of the moderate conservatives in the state will leave a bad taste in their mouth yeah I, it's it, it, you kind of get the sense really so i get the sense that a lot of these candidates were really banking on frustration with covid restrictions to end up winning. And I think that's true, again, not just in Nevada, but across the country. I think of, like, Michigan in particular. I feel like there were so many Republicans just, like, salivating at the chance to, like, take on Gretchen Whitmer. Um, and now they're, like, the one-time frontrunner James Craig is not even going to be on the primary ballot. And I, I, you know, I think as we've kind of sort of, depending on your perspective, sort of learned to live with COVID or just kind of given up, I think that um, that's going to have a lot less potency and it's going to make these sort of, like, uh, the Trumpier views a little, it'll bring those to the forefront and it'll be harder for, you know, whoever ends up getting a nomination to hide behind that thing of like, well, I, I just want to open your business back up. Do you think, cause you guys both brought up COVID restrictions and that, how that plays is a, a few months ago, I did like a deep dive um, for the site on like the governors who kept the mask mandate or in place throughout Omicron and the weird thing is, is like Steve Sisolak was like the only one from a state as purple as his, right? Like not even New York kept their mask mandate during the Omicron surge or New Jersey for that matter, Mike. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, that, that seemed just very curious to me. And, I, and you know, I, I think in that piece, I kind of made the case. It's like if it's if they've been arguing that this makes more sense just in general, there's something sort of admirable about that. But it makes zero sense politically for Sisolak. Um, and I guess that's what would concern me if I uh, were working for Sisolak's campaign. W- would either of you characterize this race any differently than a toss-up? Is I guess what I'm asking at the end of the day. I I think I I think toss-up is right for now. I think that could change the closer we get to election day because I think when you have a field as crowded as the Republican one is right now, it just it's so hard to sort of make a judgment. And as far as the mass things go, you know, I would have to actually wonder like what role the culinary union plays in that, just because my recollection is that they were pretty, like most unions, like the culinary union or many a teacher's union have been very pro-mask, right? Yeah. It's been about sort of protecting their membership. And I would have to imagine because, um, you know, they hold such sway in Nevada politics that that probably played a big role in Sisolak's decision-making. But yes, to go back to your original question, toss up for now, Let's reassess in like, th- not three months, whenever, you know, 
the week before election day. <laughs> I might have a different answer for you. <laughs> I, I agree. I think okay. it's a good call for a toss-up right now. And, and I even think once the primary happens, we may have a better idea of of what that looks like. Because I, I really do feel if it's a if it's a Gilbert or Lombardo who ends up being the candidate, I think I would consider it a leans Democratic. Okay. Um, but despite Heller losing a state statewide election the last time he ran, I don't know. I think he's he's innocuous enough. And John Lee, I you know, again, innocuous. Like they're not they're not dislikable people. They're just not likable people. Um, <laughs> It's the, the spectrum of likability. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, Jacob? Before we cap off the governor thing, what what is there's what is something people should know about Lombardo? But you say, and you know, I don't know a lot about him, and I, you know, was there for like two years. What what do people not know about Lombardo that you think is going to once he becomes more of a statewide figure, they're going to be like, oh yeah, maybe this guy's not so good. You know, I do I do think has. Uh his just really strange stance um, that he, the unneeded stance he took on immigration um, and, and, and it felt like a flip flop, you know, where he said that, you know, the Las Vegas Metro was, and then was not going to enforce, um, you know, I can't remember what is it? 286. I I can't remember the exact um, statute that it is with immigration. Um, And then he started talking about, you know, we're not going to let Las Vegas become a um, sanctuary city, which literally no one ever talked about. Like it was, right. it was in, it was putting in the, the, the politics, the, you know, the national political term into something that literally no one here was, I mean, there may have been people that wanted it to become a sanctuary city. And I believe that, but like the city council wasn't talking about it. The county commission well, wasn't talking about the, it. The mayor certainly wasn't talking about it. No, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so I think they could see him as, as maybe kind of wishy-washy. And then I think too, I think, you know, there's, there, there have been, some, and I don't know how much the Democrats and Sislax campaign will, will push out some of the, the metro controversies, the police controversies. I mean, you know, a lot of them stem from the 2020, you know, response to the George Floyd killing and how the protests in Las Vegas went and how the police treated protesters. And then there's been a couple of those no-knock raids where, you know, innocent people have been killed. Will that impact people's opinion? Honestly, I don't know, because I don't know if people care as much about that as they should right yeah all right let's let's move over to the congressional races but before we dive into that let's let's talk broadly about the kind of extremely efficient is how it's been described congressional map that democrats drew in the state so basically what they've done is they've embraced this strategy where there's one very republican district upstate that's the second district and there's three districts that just barely lean democratic all centered in the las vegas area and this means that in a year like 2022 where the GOP has an advantage. Uh, all four of these seats could go Republican. But in a year like 2018, where Democrats may have a more uh, competitive advantage, they get three seats like very easily. They're kind of banking on like name recognition in these seats for this election. It's a very high risk, high reward strategy. Dare I ask, do we like this strategy? If you are, I mean, obviously, if you're a Democratic candidate in Nevada, you might be a little upset. But if you're a national strategist or a voter, do you like this strategy? The math doesn't make sense to me. I'll just say that. I I understand the idea of creating a Republican vote sink, but if that is also making these three congressional districts then more... My understanding of it, because again, it still confuses me, that then makes these three congressional districts more difficult for Democrats to win in. Well, they that all, seems counterintuitive. They all <laughs> lean slightly Democratic. So if it's a completely right. neutral environment... So sure. 
you know, the closest example to that we have in recent history is like 2016, right? In like 2016, all three of those seats still go for the Democrat, probably. Um, if we're just taking names out of it. Mm-hmm. But they're still, they're still less blue than they were, is my understanding? Well, yes, and that's because one of them used to be leaning R. So they've, they've okay. moved all these R voters out and created these three just... So like, rather than put one seat at risk, they've now put three seats at risk. Uh, or if you believe, <laughs> if you are against gerrymandering, you're arguing they've created three competitive... Dates. Okay, fine. <laughs> no, I mean, okay, yeah, maybe that makes sense from a fairness perspective, but perhaps from a democratic strategist perspective, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'll put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> And and I was I was surprised with I mean the the type of majority the Democrats have in the state legislature I was really surprised at the map I, I I just thought it would be make two of those seats Democrat can't lose maybe one as a you know a toss up or or could go to the Republicans depending on the year um, I, I was I was very surprised. Um, and especially now that the most, you know, the most solidly Democrat district is now could be a toss up. And we'll I know we'll talk about those races. I don't necessarily know if this year I'd consider it a toss up. But um, like, I, I think that's that'll be interesting, uh, particularly, I think, in the next presidential election year, um, because I, I feel like we could have a, a couple, you know, maybe one term representatives that either win this year and then may lose in two years and and that situation which you know nevada's we're not we're not you know we're pretty familiar with how that has worked with a couple folks in the last 10 years yeah it's it's just uh it's a little ruthless you 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 get the you know i I get why all these democratic representatives are very upset but i also get like if you are you know you're at the top level and you're like the only thing that matters is that we need to win a majority on these off years is like this is just you know it's a very efficient way to do that right. um and i mean the republicans have done this in many many states and it worked very well in 2010 for them for example you know it's unfortunate for democrats it's, they've done this and now the first year up is not exactly looking like <laughs> a good one for right. them yeah so uh before we dive into our individual districts and, and talk about each of those uh let's take a quick commercial break If you're a fan of the Postwriters articles, podcasts, and projects, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. It's a once-a-week digest of everything we've worked on, what the site is up to, and other things we'd recommend each Monday. We don't believe in subjecting you to daily, annoying emails, but we do believe in keeping our most passionate and loyal supporters in the loop on what we've been up to. We know how inconvenient and annoying it is to have your inbox flooded with constant reminders and useless material. That's why we run a curated weekly newsletter that gives you a -a once-a-week scoop. New subscribers help us know how many people are reading and listening to our work and want to hear more from us. So go to thepostwriter.com slash newsletter to sign up now. And we're back. Let's get right back to it with a look at each of the four congressional districts in Nevada. Let's start with District 1. We have the incumbent in that district is uh, Dina Titus. She faces no serious primary. She is being challenged by someone on the left, I believe. Um, it, some people think it's somewhat serious. Does anyone think Dina Titus is not going to win this primary? No, I, okay. I think she'll win. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I believe for Challenger won uh, 9% of the primary vote last time she ran for Congress, so... <laughs> but it's a different district this time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, I know, but I don't know. No, I, I, I agree. So, Dina Titus is up for re-election. She uh, will go up in that election against uh, whoever the Republicans nominate. It's, anyone want to take a guess at who that's going to be? I think that's going to be a pretty... Cont- I haven't seen anything for that race, but I feel like it's going to be pretty contentious. Because, you. I mean, you've got... I mean, for all intents and purposes, two fairly well-known Republicans. I mean, Serrano, much more recently well-known, but Crescent Harvey was the representative from District 4. Yeah. Uh, so... And he's still, he still got a lot of name recognition, I think. Right. I, I definitely feel like it's a race... Probably between the, they're definitely the front runners, and yeah, well, Hardy, like you said, he used to be, uh, you know, in Congress. That's that's right. that's not nothing, um, though it was not this same area. Most ratings that I've seen have rated this race, I think, the least competitive of the Democratic races. They've said it's probably a likely or a lean Democratic. I think uh, Titus just has like really big name recognition in the state mike you and i were at the like atomic testing museum a couple <laughs> weeks ago and like like she came up on the screen and you're like oh my god dina titus <laughs> just funny like, I, I talked to my parents about there and like oh my god she's in congress now like yeah she's been in congress for like kind of a little while now like oh i remember when she was like doing all this stuff in like the 90s and it just seems like a lot of people know her <laughs> yeah any anything any <laughs> anything interesting we want to talk about in district one or are we feeling you know kind of lukewarm pretty a pretty lean Democratic, lean Dina Titus race. I think so. I, I am interested with having a, a, a Latino, if, if Serrano wins the primary, mm-hmm. I think that will be a really interesting, despite her, you know, very Trumpian credentials. I think it will be, re- it would be re- a really interesting race to have a young Latina woman run as the Republican and still, you know, a very urban area a very urban district i i just think that would be as a political science nerd i think it would be fascinating to watch yeah i don't know enough about her personally to know like if she's in a room with dina titus and is trying to talk about stuff i i mean dina titus is one of the smartest people i've ever seen speak like she's just in, in, incredibly intelligent i don't know if she'd be able to hold a candle to that but i think that would that would be an interesting play and i think that would get a lot of outside money if serrano is the candidate yeah. I think there's you'll see a ton of outside money coming coming in to push that republic you know conservative Latino vote. I mean, it's also interesting because the the new district it, it covers most of East Las Vegas and Henderson and then Boulder City, which uh, is actually fairly conservative, more conservative than you'd think. <laughs> but you know, like Henderson is kind of like it's it's a big suburb. There's a lot of retirees there. You're you're really testing right. kind of the Biden coalition in that in that district more than I think you are in. A lot of these because you have everything from the inner city to the suburbs to the uh retirees <laughs> right I, I think it's just the most interesting district that is now in nevada for that reason yeah it, it almost seems like the republicans are trying to repeat what happened in florida's 27th uh congressional district in 2020 where uh, maria elvira salazar won against donna shalala again in a very latino district as a latino republican although not as young as Serrano. Um, and, you know, like, probably, like you said, similar demographic breakdown. I just don't know if it's going to work. Because, I mean, that, that district, you know, Miami is much different than Las Vegas. Um, 
and just politically as well. So I, I, I don't know if they're able going to, going to be able to replicate it, but it, it'll be interesting to see. And that's where, too, I think, as Lars mentioned, like, and, and you did as well, Michael, the Culinary Union, I mean, they've got such a stronghold on the east side of Las Vegas that they'll fight as much as they possibly can if Serrano was the nominee to make sure she doesn't win. Should we move on to District 2? <laughs> I, I, feel sure. like, I feel like we're in, like, the Hunger Games or something. That's great. Um, District 2, I actually think this is the least interesting race uh, in, the, in the state. Uh, the incumbent is Republican Mark Amode. I always pronounce his name differently every time I say his name. <laughs> this is the very safe Republican district that we, we talked about earlier. It's now been announced that he will face a primary challenge from uh, the perennial Danny Tarkanian, uh, who has, I believe, never managed to win a single office despite running about a thousand times. I, I could not name the Democratic candidates by name. I don't know who the front runner is. I really don't think it matters in this district, if we're being honest. Mike, Jacob, jump in. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I was doing research for this episode. I was reading like the Nevada Independence Guide to the primaries. And uh, just the, <laughs> the last sentence of Danny Tarkanian's uh, bio is, a recent Las Vegas transplant, Tarkanian has lost several high-profile races <laughs> in Nevada, which I think is um, just a really, really excellent use of language to describe his, his whole deal. <laughs> Jacob, anything on District 2, or we can just keep going? No, I mean, I, I feel like Tarkanian is going to ruin his father's reputation. And Darkanian will be known as a name for losers in Nevada and not winners. So. Yeah. It's kind of embarrassing. I remember <laughs> playing this game with Michael, you and your dad, and it like mentioned Tarkanian. And I did. I actually had no idea the UNLV thing. I mm-hmm. only knew him because of the perennial candidate. And I was like, oh, that guy's such a schlub. <laughs> and you and your dad were like, no, this is a different guy. Like, who do you think you're talking about? And I was like, oh, I had no idea. Yeah, which is worse because your dad went to UNLV. Right, I know. <laughs> oh, amazing. Oops. Uh, district 3. Let's, let's move on. Uh, district 3, I think, is the district I've spent the most time researching uh, in the last year. So the incumbent is Democrat Susie Lee. She faces no serious primary. The Republican primary is led by April Becker. But there is a candidate in this race that we have a lot of experience in covering and we've spoken to before at the Post Rider. Let's talk about District 3. Republican primary, April Becker. I think she's going to be the nominee. I mean, her, her, her biggest challenger is either Noah Malgiri, who we've done a couple pieces on, or John Kovacs, who's uh, like a construction company owner. They are the only two that seem to be within, I, I don't think either of them are within spitting distance, but we all kind of agree it'll be Becker. Yeah. Yeah, and I, is I would it- say so. As someone who lives in District 3, uh, just just recently moved here, and I know, you know, there's a lot, I totally understand there's a lot more that goes into elections than signage, but I haven't seen a single sign that's not, like, April Becker's got all the signs. Yes. So, like, she's got the money, she's, you know, I've seen her ads, and I'm aware that there's other people in the primary, but <laughs> by just driving around my neighborhood, you wouldn't know. And, and Becker's got a number of higher profile endorsements. Like I know Nikki right. Haley and uh, Elise Stefanik both endorsed her. Uh, the Susan B. Anthony list endorsed her. And yeah, also anecdotally, but Noah Malgiri, I, did, I never found a sign of his. And I know most of his money spent comes from himself. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Um, always, always helpful. Yeah, I, I think he is like a fascinating candidate, and that's just my own bias by like talking to him and, and learning a lot about him. 
more than I ever wanted to know. Um, <laughs> but I also think this is the most competitive race. Does Lee have a chance to, to hold on? I, I want to say y- yes, but I, I agree with you. This is going to be a super competitive race, and I think she's going to need to distinguish how she's what she's done for, for Nevada. Um, I feel like we hear a lot about Dina Titus. She's very present. She's always been very present, and and I think people realize, too, that Susie Lee comes from a very wealthy family, and April Becker kind of worked her way up through politics in the state. And I think that there is something to be said for that um, when you're trying to tell a story. Um, yeah. So one, of, one of my thoughts about it is, you know, I, I try to imagine if we're, if we're looking at these two people side by side, it's, there's going to be a lot of people that are like, oh, I like how April Becker got to where she is. I like her, her Nevada story. Um, and Susie Lee's Nevada story has a lot to do with her very rich, what now, ex-husband. So I don't know if they're divorced or not, but I thought they maybe were. I, I can't remember. I don't, I don't think so. I think they're still together. Okay. Um, Sorry. Not she, to spread any rumors. No, I don't no, know no. anything personally. <laughs> uh, Lee is probably the, the Democrat running for Congress with the least name recognition of, of our three down in Las Vegas. And it's another interesting district, right? It's, it's a very suburban district, and then you get out in, I, I think Pahrump is in the district now, um, or, or parts of it, or south of Pahrump. I'm, I'm not quite yeah. sure. You get kind of everything down to California, plus like the Summerlin area. I think if I had to make a prediction, I think it goes for Becker. I think Becker is also the strongest Republican candidate running against any of these Democrats. Yeah, and if you look at uh, Sue, Susie Lee's, la- or her only two elections to Congress, her opponents in both those races were Danny Tarkadian, who we've already <laughs> talked about, and uh, Dan Rodermer, the former professional wrestler who has decided he basically lives in he lives in basically any state that has like an open congressional election. He ran in this district in 2020, and then he ran in this special um, after oh, what was his name? It was Ron Wright passed away. Um, in Texas, he ran in, he ran in that uh, special election as well and did not come close to winning at all. And he's actually from, like, where I'm from. He's from New Jersey. So, um, yeah, and Becker, a more traditional candidate, um, came very close uh, to winning a state Senate seat in 2020. So, yeah, I, she's probably going to give uh, Lee a run for her money for sure. Our last district, District 4. The incumbent is Democrat Stephen Horsford. He has won election, lost an election, won an election again. He's kind of come back from the dead one or two times. There's also some controversy around Horsford. He had an affair with, I believe, a Reed, a Harry Reed intern. I believe his wife made some statements actually like in the last couple weeks about that. Um, and his, on the Republican side, the, the primary is led by Air Force veteran Sam Peters and State Assemblywoman Annie Black. I think they're both, you know, stronger Republican candidates. But the irony is this is the, the uh, of the lean Democratic seats this is the safest of them which is interesting because i i think if you're a democrat in the state don't you think titus is more important than horsford i don't know what, what do we think about stephen horsford and, and this his 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 arc of losing elections and winning elections and now scandal i think if i'm stephen horsford i really hope that annie black wins the primary <laughs> because she has so many statements supporting january 6th and all sorts of like QAnon adjacent that that's what I would exploit and I like that you know it's one of those it's the uh, going back to when Harry Reid ran against Sharon Angle what was that 2010 I think where you know had Harry Reid had um, 
oh gosh, I can't even remember her name now. The the other candidate, um, Loudon, Sue Loudon, had she won the primary, I think we would have seen Harry Reid lose for the first time ever. And instead, he ran against quite possibly the craziest person that Nevada has ever nominated, you know, the Republican Party has ever nominated for a statewide office. And I think the Annie Black effect would help. That would that would be the same if I were Stephen Horsford. I, I wouldn't want to push Annie Black to win, but I would absolutely secretly hope because she's got a track record that's terrible. And Sam Peters doesn't have that doesn't have that history of, uh, you know, being obnoxious and saying terrible things. Um, which which would work out, you know, having way shorter rap sheet is going to be a lot more helpful when you're running uh, against Horsford, who has a lot of skeletons in his closet. Or rather, skeletons outside of his closet right, that right. people yeah. are all aware of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I think Peters is, is leading that primary. I, I think there's only been one poll that I've seen, but it, uh, Peters was ahead of Black by like 20% or something. Yeah. And I, I guess to go back on, you know, if you are... <laughs> The Democratic map drawers. Maybe you think Horsford needs more of a hand, so you drew his district slightly bluer. If you're really thinking it through, that I mean, like we said, Titus probably needs the the least support. So makers, right. I, I don't know. Mike, any thoughts on uh, District Four? Yeah, I, I I think as far as sort of like Horsford and his many skeletons go, I feel like we in the we the collect the royal we right the the nation as a whole. Uh, people who talk about these things have kind of like, ever since Trump won the 2016 election, have kind of been like, well, nothing matters anymore as far as like personal life goes, right? Like anybody can win anything. Um, and I actually think that is not 100% true. <laughs> um, I think, you know, Roy Moore went losing a Senate election in Alabama is kind of proof of that. Even uh, Trump's endorsement wasn't able to save, uh, I forget his first name, but his last name was Herbster in the Nebraska gubernatorial primary. Um, he, he was accused of multiple accounts of sexual assault i believe and yeah I, I just kind of wonder if this is now the democrats turn to to lose someone to to a personal scandal in, in the post-trump era um and but but as you said jacob uh you know black winning the primary would, would definitely give him a boost because i mean the, the campaign <laughs> the campaign ad shoots itself right it, we all saw it on the news on january 6th and uh yeah i i, I think I, I think that that uh, that would be a boost to Horford's chances, but yeah, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see how. Again, I think I think if if you are Peters or Black, you're hoping the scandal breaks again after the primaries, but right. it, it definitely doesn't help them. All right, I guess before we close out the congressional races, dare I ask? It's January of 2023. What what is the Nevada delegation? Is it two Democrats, two Republicans, four Republicans? I'm gonna say it's two and two. I think. Titus and Horsford actually pull it out, and Lee goes down. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be. I'm pretty sure it's going to be two and two. And I think it's this. I think Lee will will lose. Yeah. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll, I'll agree with you guys because you know better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and and I and I, I think um, I think the Horsford race could be close. I think that's yeah that's yeah. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't count on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we left the best for last. Probably the most important <laughs> race in the state and possibly the most important race in the country in yeah. 2022, uh, and that is the Nevada Senate race. Incumbent Democratic Senator Catherine Cortez Masto took Harry Reid's seat in 2017, and this seat is a must-hold for Democrats if they want to keep control of the Senate. She faces no serious primary opponent this cycle, but she does face some headwinds if she wants to keep the seat. It's a neutral state. She has to run in the statewide election, and she faces a pretty clear front runner 
uh, in the Republican primary, and that is former Nevada Attorney General, who's actually uh, her successor in that job, Adam Laxalt. I think it's pretty well established it'll be a Laxalt v. Cortez Masto race at this point. But once again, jump in if you have like a long shot candidate you want to want to root for. (laughs) I don't, but I'm (laughs) laughing at the pool. I just laugh at this, like the governor pool. There's just some real, real amazing candidates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the, I, at the risk of sounding condescending, just like the, um, the former beauty pageant winner who now runs an agency that uh, sends models to trade shows is to me kind of like the most Las Vegas thing I can think of <laughs> as far as uh, having having that be your entry into the politics. But Sherelle Mendenhall. Yes. Her signs are everywhere in Las Vegas. You cannot Everywhere. Like, yes. Um, you could not get away from them. It, it was actually very annoying. <laughs> we at, at the Post Writer have, have kind of been forecasting that this is actually a much more competitive race than people thought for a long time. And now... You know, the polling has started to come out, and yeah, it turns out like Laxalt wins in some of these polls, and this is a pretty narrow race, despite the fact that Cortez Masto is a very strong candidate. Why do you think we were ahead of the curve on that, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> I think that a lot of people just kind of saw Nevada go blue for four straight elections, and we're just like, oh, it's 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 the because. De- you think about it, right? So you think of states that the Democrats would be at risk in this cycle, right, as far as their seats go. You think of Arizona, Republican trifecta in the state government, right? You think of, I mean, Pennsylvania is an open seat, but still, it's basically a toss-up, right? You have Republican control of that state legislature. You already have a Republican in the Senate from that state there. Um, You think of... Georgia. uh, Georgia, right, yeah. A Republican trifecta. And then you think of, like, states Trump won... There were like those sort of like those tremors, if you will, right, of Republicans controlling the state government in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Ohio, places like that, right? Nevada is 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 not is not like that, right? Nevada right now has a Democratic trifecta. It's sort of weathered the Trump storm two cycles in a row, and it now has a predominantly literally is literally a what is it now five to one Democrat Republican ratio in Congress, and I think. You know, if you're doing like the eye test, then it then it seems like there isn't much of a risk there. But if you actually, you know, kind of delve deep, it's 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 not the case at all, right? It's 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 a it's a much swingier state than people realize, and I think people have just expected swing states to calcify at some point, right? The fact that Colorado and Virginia are now safe blue, except for gubernatorial elections, apparently, um, <laughs> I think makes some people kind of uh, give an early diagnosis uh, to to those kinds of swings and. Uh, and we also had, we had a man on the ground too. We had you there. So, <laughs> oh, thanks. Mike. No, I wasn't fishing for that. Um, J- Jacob, do you do you agree? Do you think this race is riskier than than people think for Democrats? Absolutely. I this I mean this is a race that I've been worrying about since Biden won the presidency and and COVID hit just because I think that there's so much at stake and and while you know it's interesting you know one of my kind of anecdotal takes on it is specifically you know you've got cortez masto who was absolutely harry reed's chosen successor who is who is you know quite possibly one of the best you know follow the party line democrats work for the party make sure things are happening inside the party has so little name recognition in this state because when we you know like and i like to ask people like who are our senators well, everybody know everybody knows Jackie Rosen. I mean, not everybody, but 
people that are aware of politics, they hear the name Jackie Rosen a lot. She's done a lot. She's very present. Catherine Cortez Masto, very powerful, but very behind the scenes and hasn't really, you know, shown herself a lot to the state. But I I worry, too, because we've got, you know, when Laxalt ran a couple years ago, I wasn't as worried. But with the influx of people, they don't know. You know, they don't have the they don't have the history. And it's not that long ago. Um, but like they don't know his history in the state. They don't know the controversy of his last statewide election. And I feel like that's where, you know, it also becomes a lot more contentious is because, you know, he's got a name that people recognize, but maybe they they don't have the memory span for like why he lost the last statewide election. Yeah, I, I mean, you you, <laughs> you you mentioned name recognition. It, it's weird because I do actually kind of feel like the Laxalt name means a lot more to people in Nevada than the Cortez Masto name. And I know Manny Cortez was like a big deal in the Las Vegas area for a long time, her father. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> Paul Laxalt was like a big deal. And, you know, the, the family family dynamics in the Laxalts, and especially with Adam Laxalt, are not... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I look forward to when people like learn a little more about this because I actually think most people yeah. don't really know a whole lot about that. <laughs> but he is, I, I think he's a very strong candidate in name and just, you mm-hmm. know, he was attorney general. That's, that's right. Cor- Catherine Cortez Masto used that to go to the Senate. It seems a pretty clear uh, logic for me that in a Republican leaning year that attorney general Adam Laxalt or former attorney general Adam Laxalt could do the same. Uh, and he's super polished. I mean, he's he he looks the part. You know, you you put a picture, I, and I I hate it, but I know that that's people vote on that those types of superficial things. He looks the part. Yeah, and he doesn't yeah. face a very serious challenge either, right? He he's got kind of yeah. every advantage lined up for him. Yeah. Interesting though, apparently not the endorsement of the state Republican Party, which went to Sam Brown. I don't think that'll have much of an effect, but. It is an interesting sort of like Trump v. state party showdown because Trump did endorse Laxalt, but one I think Trump's going to win. But I think that that oh, I just one quick thing. I think it's really interesting because I think Nevada will be a case study too on the impact of state parties on uh, elections this year because both state parties are not in line with the national Republican and or national Democrat vision. I, either state party are. Right. So I think that's going to be a really interesting. Uh, it's going to, I mean, again, as somebody who lives here and is a political nerd, I'm really interested to see what happens after the 2022 elections to the state parties. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think the Democratic Party's split. What happened to the party in the state, for listeners who don't know, is um, I believe this was last year in 2021, is there was kind of this Bernie wing of the party and a more establishment wing of the party. And the Bernie wing, like, took control of the state party and all of the establishment people left. And mm-hmm. now all of these like voter lists and donor lists and all of this has kind of been some candidates aren't getting access. Some of it's been lost. It's it's been kind of like a mess. <laughs> uh, yeah. And like all of these Democrats in Nevada are actually like very moderate. Right. Like you said, they're all kind of like pragmatic. Right. So that's very much out of line with the more Democratic socialist leanings of some of the state party. So that that will be very interesting to watch. And you had this I mean, you had this amazing machine for Democrats in Nevada that now just seems to have completely fallen apart because of that. So that may not, uh, that may not go well. Right. If there is a bright side to Cortez Masto, I think there's an issue she's been very public on a number of times that is abortion uh, or mm-hmm. the right to choose. And like, maybe she can use that against Laxalt question for you guys. It is interesting. So I was reading 
it was at the Reno Journal Gazette, I believe. Um, and I was reading there. They, you know, they did one of those things where they sent out a questionnaire to everybody running in the Senate primary on both sides of the aisle. And Laxalt actually did not answer the question about Roe v. Wade. Interesting. But they did quote um, his answer to a similar question in his debate against Sam Brown, where he basically said, well, you know, I was an unexpected pregnancy. Um, my mother decided to keep me and uh, look at me now, basically. So I'll always be pro-life. And I don't know. I feel like they could really go either way on him. I, I think it, it's, it's you know, it's it's kind of the, the classic pro-life argument. And I think, you know, one, one that could come out very well, like you said, he's very polished. He's, he, he can articulate it well. It might also make some people look into his background and maybe that turns them off. Again, not his fault and not his mother's fault, I don't think. But, you know, you, you have to wonder how open he would be how much more open he, he, he would be he would be about uh, that right and his senate website mm. he does have a category under his issues that says pro-life but it says as senator laxalt will stand against taxpayer funding for abortion and he will be a reliable vote against extreme democratic proposals that would deny babies born alive health care mm-hmm. that's actually not answering <laughs> if you are pro-choice or yeah pro-life and and that's that's been a theme with with most republicans so far right it's like you've had a few who have been like yeah all right let's pass this national ban on abortion now but a lot of them have really been soft peddling it i don't know if part of that's because they think it's it's easier to get angry at like the leak of the whole thing but i but there i think there is a lot of hesitancy for some of these Republican candidates in swingier areas to take too hard of a turn on it because they think it could just blow up in their face. And and, and they 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 don't yeah. They I, I think like like a lot of people have been saying, they're a little bit like the dog who's caught the car and now have to kind of deal with that. Right. And I do I do think the you know, being one of the few states where um abortion is, is codified in the law, I think that any Republican in this state that's trying to appeal to more than just the Trump wing is going to have to, they're going to have to moderate what they say, what they believe is one thing, what he votes, you know, I absolutely would never think that if, if Laxalt's elected to the Senate, he will absolutely, you know, vote Trumper all the way. But they realize that we have it in our laws that abortion is legal and the, you know, regardless of the position you're going to take on it, the Nevada state law is going to have to change if we get rid of abortion. Um, that's the only way that it's going to happen in the state. And I, you know, I've seen that on a, a, a couple of the candidates reading, you know, reading through some of the interviews. That's how the Republicans get away with that, that stuff. They're just like, well, it's law in Nevada that it's legal. So they're not going to say they're pro-choice or pro-life. They're just going to say, well, it's law in Nevada. And I will respect the law in Nevada. Is anything not law in Nevada? <laughs> <laughs> It's a very libertarian state. Right. Prospects. How, how are you rating the, the Senate race? I think toss-up is, is fair here again, but I, am, I, I would be concerned if I were a Democrat in this race. Yeah, toss-up. Yeah, I mean, absolutely a toss-up. There's going to have to be a lot to change in the next few months before the election for me to think any other way on this, ele- this specific race. Well, uh, Senator Laxalt, you can give us a call. Uh, <laughs> but there you have it. There is our deep dive into the six major races in Nevada this cycle. Any any conclusions on Nevada and its elections before we, we end this episode? You know, and I know we didn't talk about these, but I think it's, it's important also to look at, like, we're not going to talk about them, but in Nevada, you know, we are 
where all of the statewide elected like state level positions except for one are currently held by democrats and i think that's also really likely to change yeah. in the the 20 this next election and i think it's gonna people outside of nevada or who don't have never looked at nevada politics are gonna be like well what the hell happened in nevada and i think you guys you know have been on this for a long time that nevada is still incredibly purple and there's no having a series of blue federal elections isn't doesn't mean doesn't mean shit here in nevada yeah it can change overnight and there's a chance the state legislature changes as well um after a super majority for two years and then an almost super majority for two years related but just kind of always been funny to me is the one person you mentioned statewide who's a republican is actually the secretary of state right it's, right right uh who you know is ostensibly in charge of the election administration and the most what you know all these republicans are saying nevada was the most poorly conducted election in the 2020 right. election it's like well that was kind of kind of your girl there yeah she was <laughs> censured by the state republican party yeah <laughs> For making dismissive public statements regarding election integrity concerns. Yeah, because she said that Biden won the state. Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> it, it happens. It happens. Um, Mike, you got any electoral conclusions on Nevada? Um, just, you know, if, if you're going to pay attention to one state, I actually think it's, this is the one to pay attention to. And I just kind of, to echo what Jacob said, and it supplies, I think, not just to Nevada, but to basically all the elections, you know, um, look at those like below the line state level and state legislature races because that'll tell you the, the real story of the election right that i think more so than sort of the massive 60 seat swing in 2010 was the sort of tsunami of republican state legislatures and like i said below the line executive branch office holders it was what sort of really helped shape the political environment of the past i guess 12 years now and so if, if you you want you want to get to the real story you really want to find out what's going on, look at those races because they'll tell you a lot. Awesome. So let's just cap off this episode with the In Our Lifetime for this week. So Nevada is, of course, known for its casinos, but another form of gambling has spread across around half of the states in the last couple of decades, and that's sports betting. About a third of the states still have not legalized sports betting. So in our lifetime, will sports betting be legal nationwide? Mike, I'll go to you first. Will it be legal in every state? um in our lifetime i don't know i i gotta imagine at least one or two are gonna hold out like is utah gonna legalize sports betting anytime soon i, I feel like they won't <laughs> okay <laughs> jacob i'm from new jersey it's been illegal my whole life you know <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> i am right there with with mike i i know for sure like utah may be the the one holdout if every other state legalizes sports betting utah will absolutely say no thank you yeah. Um, I, I, I think it is, it is really interesting. And, and I know Lars, you also have that Colorado connection. So I'm, I'm originally from Colorado and the last few times I've gone, I visited just seeing all the sports betting billboards and commercials has been, I wouldn't like, what the hell is going on? You'd think it was, you know, the invention of sliced bread. I know. Um, and it's all over TV now, which is so interesting. The, the right. only like major holdout of the liberal states, I'd say, is like California does not allow sports betting. That's massive. It's just very interesting. Re trivia question. So Utah, no form of betting is legal in Utah. Not even charitable betting, not even lotteries are legal in Utah. What is the other state where it is no betting is legal at all? Well, it's got to be like Alabama, right? <laughs> Incorrect. Alaska? Incorrect. Maine. Oh. <laughs> Massachusetts. <laughs> oh, no. Hawaii. 
Yes, Hawaii. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. I have no idea why that is, but... That is interesting. I, if you want another fun fact about gambling, Nevada is one of the few states that does not allow lotteries. And so Nevadans actually have to go to California to get lottery tickets mm-hmm. because, of course, the casinos don't want you buying lottery tickets. There you go. There's your fun fact. I'll agree with you guys. I'll say Utah's going to hold out. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we will end with that. Thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, be sure to check out the Wild and Free podcast. Uh, they're at wildandfreepodcast.com. You can follow them on Twitter at wildandfreepod. They're great. Uh, Jacob, anything else you want to plug for you, yourself, your podcast? Just be on the lookout. We're going to have a, a series of, of episodes that are going to address some of our more local issues, like local elections coming up um, after the primaries. So, uh, you know, we, we, we like to take a, a pretty deep dive in that. And uh, one of the things that we, we started doing during the 2020, 2020 elections is the judges' races. Because mm-hmm. Nevada is also one of those weird states where you elect judges. So, um, and no one ever knows who to elect as judge, right? Like it, it so, yeah. so be on the lookout. That is something that we, we take, we take very seriously because it's one of those things that, you know, who the hell knows what judge to vote for. And sometimes these judges have a lot of power and say over what happens, uh, in our communities. So if you thought this deep dive wasn't deep enough, go to them. <laughs> and yeah, let, let us know everyone what you think on Twitter. You can find and follow us at the post writer, or you can reach out to us on email. That's contact at the We like hearing from you. If you're from Nevada, let us know if your favorite candidate isn't on the ballot this year. Um, we are a post writer podcast. We're brought to you by the postwriter.com. You can check out the stuff we work on things we've written our other podcasts and more over there mike thank you as always and uh special thanks to jacob for joining us this episode it was great to have you on the show oh thank you guys for having me i really appreciate it